I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I always ask that of all my prayer. I just like the sound. Like it's 1989. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1989. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1989. Baby fish mouth. Baby fish mouth. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1989, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1989 from a sharper image here in 2000 and what year is it? 21. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. 21. <laughs> and I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today is Liz Hanna, uh, back to the podcast, I believe for the second time. She only talks about A-plus films with us. So um, I try. Got I try. That's right. The Insider was your first one. Uh, when Harry Met Sally is uh, is your, your Patreon mm-hmm. uh, podcast <laughs> with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're so delighted to have you back to talk about this film. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. It gave me an excuse to watch When Harry Met Sally again. Like I needed one, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I needed one. I needed one. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I didn't know this until this morning when I watched The Long Shot for the first time, but it's nice to have the writer of the only good romantic comedy of the last 20 years <laughs> <laughs> on our show. But I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating only slightly. If you haven't seen Long Shot, it is, uh, it is spectacular. And I'm not just saying that because I second that notion on the podcast. I, I subscribed to Patreon, so you had to say that. That was uh, that was the deal. We made. Well, yeah, you know, that's what you get for your. That's what you can get too for your six dollars a month. But, uh, <laughs> Phil has been singing its praises uh, since he watched it. I think he put it. I think he put it on your best twenty of the decade. Wow! Um, so that was before we even knew you. And uh, and now you're like it's off the list. I also like. I also you know. Because I, I know you and like you so much, I didn't have the reaction I would have had when screen drafts did their 
American Presidency podcast and put it at the sixth American President movie of all time. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's so cool. And you were you were name checked because you had you had uh, tweeted at Clay Clay Keller, the the host of that show, that you would have picked American President. Yes, and uh, American President was not on that list. Yes, <laughs> and and and, and a long shot was on that list, and I was I, I would have been like, Arr! but now I've seen the movie, and it, it's a better. I love American President. My it's a better my movie than hate American. fire is feeling again, remembering that the American President was not on that list. <laughs> American President didn't make the list, and of course should have, but yeah. uh, long shot also uh, deserving of that list. Um, so I'm saying this, I really feel like I maybe knew the list existed. I didn't know that we were on it. I don't think so. That's exciting. (laughs) But if I did, it was like 15 years ago when 2020 started. And so all of that has left my brain. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Eternity Um, really. How, how, how have you been? What's new? (laughs) Oh, you know, not much. (laughs) (laughs) It's just. Every day is just a, another positive, optimistic, uh, blessed day in our country. So for I also, context, I, so for context we're, we are recording this the, um, the, the day after the Capitol was stormed by terrorists. And, uh, <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, I'm very proud of our podcast for being the first podcast back out after that. <laughs> I know most podcasts haven't been able to record, but, but we'll take one for the mm-hmm. team. But if, if you hear a little uh, gallows humor or apprehension or anxiety or a general sense of fuck it all in our voices, that's why. Or you could just think it's any other day since any March day 20th, since, since January 2016. Yeah, could really fit in. It's, I, I will say that, you know, obviously uh, yesterday was terrifying and awful. Um, it also just made me think like for, prior to yesterday, I kept thinking, well, you know, it's only 20 days. It's only 19 days. And now I'm just like. I don't know what he could do in 13 days. Like, could he actually uh, destroy he the do. country in 13 days? Is it possible? It's possible. I mean, he tried to. The problem is that they're so dumb that it's like, you <laughs> know. God. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I've, it's yeah. like these people re- resigning from the cabinet. It's like, oh, what, you wanted a fucking applause? You left with 13 days left? Like, great. Yeah, you left after this. Like, congratulations! Yeah. It's yeah, I don't. Well, I yeah, don't it's know. a lot. It's a, it's it's a lot to process. But I'll say this: um, watching when Harry met Sally last night was a was a lovely bomb to what agree. transpired. Uh, B A L M. Yes, yes, correct. So, Liz, when did you see this movie? Did you see this movie? When did I see this movie? Okay. Um, yeah, when did yeah, I see, when this, see movie? this movie? Get back um, in. Sorry, my bad. I think I probably saw it in college for the first time. I think I don't think I saw it in high school. I probably saw it in college okay. for the first time. So I was 17, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. So what did what did a sort of, you know, what kind of impression did it leave on you in terms of dating in terms of did it did it change the way that you saw relationships between men and women was it was it sort of that I mean I grew up in New York and my parents got sure. divorced when I was nine so I was like already kind of like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was like oh I'm coming home now watching When Harry Met Sally um I don't know did it change my perspective on dating no I think I mean it was so funny because I actually grew up with a lot of guy friends like always was the girl that had a bunch of guy friends. I still am. I have a lot of guy friends. Um, 
So it was more just like, that's bullshit. And then I got older and I was like, oh, no, maybe that's true. So that was more, I think it was like, I watched it when I was like 17 or 18 and everybody's still fun and like everybody's going to college. And then it's like, you get out of college and things start getting serious. And I was like, he may have been onto something with that one. That might be accurate. That was probably more along the lines of where I was at with it. But I mean, the thing for me was that, it was funny, I was just talking about this with somebody this morning. Is like I'm I'm such a humongous Nora fan. I Nora Ephron, the writer of the movie, writer of Sleepless in Seattle, um, Heartburn, You've Got Mail, um, on and on and on. Also the director of You Got Mail. Um, but I um I'm such an enormous Nora fan and I just like gravitate gravitated more towards Sleepless in Seattle. Like that was sort of my like bread and butter of what I would watch when I was growing up and um then so I I watched it, but so it just didn't like resonate, I think, as much with me because I had kind of already had a Nora in my head from Sleepless. And then I rewatched the movie this morning and I was like, Oh man, I missed out. Like, fuck, everybody's been talking about this movie for 10 years. And that's not to say that I don't think it's in, or hadn't thought it was incredible and loved it and that it resonated and all those things. But there's a difference between watching it when you're in your thirties and you're watching it in your twenties. Like it does sort of the palette is different. Well, there's just like, you know, I was, I was texting Kenny about this last night and, and so I've seen this movie, perhaps I've seen this movie the most of any movie ever. Like I've seen this movie a, a tremendous amount of times. Part of that has to do with the fact that, and I've told Kenny this, I'm not sure if I said it on mic before, but as a kid, I didn't sleep well. I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just go watch movies in our TV room. And I had like a batch of movies. It was like five movies or so that I would just watch on loop. This was at the top of that list. It was this, it's a strange group of movies. This Die Hard Lethal Weapon Fish Called Wanda feels like those four I cycled through just constantly for whatever reason. So I know this movie by rote and mm-hmm. watching it last night it just, it, it hit me on it all over again. Like just mm-hmm. how brilliant it is. It's not a hooky thing. It's just such a beautiful, you know, it's it's a tight, like 90 minutes. It knows when to get out. Kenny and I talked a lot about this on our 89 episodes in general, which it's is- Fucking cat, sorry. She's like this cat just discovered <laughs> to exist. And now she's like, I want to be a part of the podcast. <laughs> but we've Chaos. talked a lot about this idea of how movies, quite frankly, stick around too long now. Um, they, they, they're, they're generally too long. They, you know, there's this, this great Billy Wilder quote where he said the third act should build, build, build in tempo and action until the last event. And then that's it. Don't hang around. And I feel like we hang around too much. And this movie just knows when to get out. Like, I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's so, um, precise and I don't know, I, I, I really adore this film, um, but I also feel like it kind of, in its moment, in 89, as big a hit as it was, it kind of got, I don't want to say dinged, but sort of said as like Woody Allen light, which mm. I think is does an enormous disservice to this movie and makes it seem as though it's just aping someone else's style, which I don't really think it's doing, but I'm curious as to what you guys think of that. I'm going I, to avoid the Woody Allen conversation. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't I mean, even I mean, mean. I, the thing I would say is that, like, I, I think it is actually, um, I find Woody Allen's movies often far more intellectual than they are emotional. Even mm-hmm. Annie Hall, I think, is probably the closest to being an emotional movie, and it's still very intellectual. And by intellectual, I mean, like, just 
petty and not like grounded in true, true emotion. Um, and this for me is driven by heart. Like it's just driven by emotion and feeling and not explaining everything and not having to have like a immediately go to B. It can go, you can go from A to M. And so I think it's really, um, yeah, I, I think it's much more heartfelt and emotional. And in that way, I think organic to humans in general, rather than, you know, a Woody Allen yes. movie. I, I basically couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, there are things about this that do remind me of Woody Allen, of course. But um, I think it's important to remember that at this time, Woody Allen wasn't the Woody Allen we know now. And Woody Allen was basically, and I'm not saying he didn't do bad stuff. I just mean in terms of the public consciousness. Um, and he was a just considered to be one of the, the great directors, someone whose work is worth emulating. So I think Reiner and Efron pulled some bits from Woody Allen that I really appreciate. Like I really appreciate the, uh, the, the, the way soundtrack songs are used in this movie mm-hmm. and, and how in no way were they trying to be, you know, cool or modern? Um, how they really just, you know, evoked the emotion mm-hmm. uh, of the scene and of the movie and of the moment. Um, and I think that the the bantering, so, to some extent, was informed by what Woody did or does. But to me, that's way more of a Billy Crystal, Rob Reiner kind of vibe. Um, and Nora. That, I mean, Nora does Nora, it in yeah. Seattle. She does it in You've Got Mail. Like, I think... Yeah, I, I I would agree with you. I mean, I think the thing that actually sticks out to me the most that's influenced by Woody Allen is the aesthetics and the um, cinematography. Like, there's there's a lot of walk and talks on the streets of New York. And that's not saying that, like, Woody Allen created that, but I think that's one of the things he's most iconically known for is just New York is a character in the movie in the way that New York is a character in most of Woody Allen's movies. And so that for sure I think it is influential and there's a lot of improv in the movie although I don't want to say like improv and dismiss the writing because the writing is there to Mm -hmm. you know inform it and shape it and be part of it Um, and I think a lot of times when people are like oh movies are improv then you forget the writer is actually one of the three people or four people (laughs) however many people are involved in that influential partners in that Um, but so yeah I think like there's also just a tenor of relaxation in the film. That, that, mm-hmm. that was the thing about watching it this morning. I was like, oh, this is like what I needed. It was like so stress-free, so not uptight, which is generally how I find most Woody Allen movies. And well, they're, they're stressful. They're yeah, stressful. it's like it's, they're, they're anxious. There's an yeah. anxiety to them. And this, there's no anxiety. You're just sort of like, I'm so excited to watch these two people fall in so, love at some point. Yeah. And it's a, it's a uncomfortable thing. I don't want to talk too much about Woody, but for years yeah. and years and years, my favorite Woody film was Manhattan, and my favorite and and my favorite Woody film was Manhattan because I loved the way it made me feel in Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. The way it set me there, it used the music and the swell and the the romance of it, where where you were almost ignoring the actual romances at the center of this movie. Where yes. They actually don't feel like that's what the movie is about. And what I'm kind of trying to get at is like, I'm with you, Liz. Like, I have only seen this movie once before I watched for this, right? I only saw it once in college. I feel like I missed out. 
And, and I've seen Manhattan dozens of times. And this really should have been my like romantic Manhattan movie mm-hmm. that gave me that feeling <clears throat> that I want. Mm-hmm. Well, can I, I, I want to uh, read a very brief quote from a really great article um, from Carrie Kurrigan, which is a bright wall, dark room writer who did this really beautiful piece on uh, Omen, Herman, Sally and on New York and the way that it's filmed. Barry Sonnenfeld did the cinematography in this film. Obviously, Barry Sonnenfeld went on to have a very successful directing career. By the way, the correlations between this and Men in Black are just like... (laughs) (laughs) You can see them. They talk to each other constantly. Um, But uh, she said something really wonderful. She said, there are plenty of standout shots and lines in When Harry Met Sally, a film thoroughly committed to showing New York at its best and most inviting. However, it's this frame, the the shot of them in the fall when they're walking down the street together with the... uh, That's so iconic, it graces the DVD cover and practically fills the entire first page of Google Imagery results for the film that has taken up permanent residence in my brain. After all this time living here, knowing it's a fictional portrait I should dismiss for its ever so slight disconnect, instead as time goes on my love for it only deepens. No longer does it look like a fantasy view through the eyes of a child growing up in the suburbs. Ten years in, it looks like the distorted version of the reality in which I live. If love can make people more beautiful in our mind's eye than they are in real life, can't the same be applied to cities as well? The New York scene through Nora Ephron's eyes is romantic and idealized. A dream of New York City created in the aftermath of a long stretch of time during which the city was perceived as something more akin to a nightmare, but always quotidian, always seemingly attainable. Critics are right to point out that that her mostly Upper West Side dwelling protagonists are white and privileged, but looking back, aside from Joe Fox, they weren't particularly wealthy so much as solidly middle class with normal people jobs and relatively modest rent-controlled apartments. It's Nora's warm, comfortable, lived in New York, I have been chasing all these years. Not like many other young women of my generation, Sex in the Cities or god forbid girls when i watch when harry met sally stroll through central park i think if i could just find a way to crawl inside this movie inside this new york i could be a real person i could be okay there's there's something really so inviting about this version of new york i mean kenny and i texted last night and kenny was like i love you i don't want you to move but maybe you should move to new york for a little bit and i think that there's something to this version of new york and it's the one that i have in my head and it seems it like exists. I, yeah <laughs> it, it exists i like i i i it's what you make of it right you know i i it's i don't know it's 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 yeah, it's easy to look at like you know, anywhere, and and particularly after you've lived there for a while, and say I'm never going to live in you know that Upper West Side Woody Allen apartment. Like for whatever reason, the one that's always in my head is the one in um, Everyone Says I Love You, like uh, with Al Alden Goldie Hawn's apartment, which I just I I, I just lust after. But um, there, New York really can feel like it does in these movies, and often does. Mm-hmm. Um, just I mean, like fall in New York is always fall in New York. Like that's the thing is that like, like look, it, it that's that's like what it looks like. That's what and you know I can buy that coat and walk around like that. You know, but I, I agree. I mean, it is what you make of it, and it's. I also think it's the age you are and what's going on in your life and how. I mean, I lived in New York for twenty one years before I moved out here, and I every time I go back, and I had this sort of like love hate going back because it starts to change and Me like too. it's not the New York that I grew up in anymore and but now it's weird like now i I mean I have to go back we shot the post there, so i was I was there for almost you know two and a half months um while we were shooting, and it was a completely different relationship with the city than I'd had previously. And I was an adult, and I was working there, and I had a life, and 
it was, <laughs> I was living in a different apartment in Manhattan and it was this whole other experience. And I don't know, I think I, the hardest part for me of not living in New York anymore is allowing the idea of New York to adapt in my head as it grows and I stay stagnant. Like, because I'm not living there, I don't see it continue to change. You know, whereas I've lived in Los Angeles for over 10 years and I've seen it change and I've seen neighborhoods change and I can sort of adapt to it. Going back to New York and not being there, it feels like shell shock, you know? And I think sure. that the getting older and the looking back a little bit and seeing these, is it for me is both a flash in the pan and like a Polaroid of a time when New York was like this, you know? But it's also, there's a timeless element to When Harry Met Sally's version of New York. It's, oh, you know, because there are no cell phones, because there are no X, Y, and Z, it's, you know, they, they can walk through Central Park. Central Park looks like that in the fall. Like, it's yeah. just going to look like that. <laughs> so the leaves change. They fall on the ground. It's chilly. Um, and I'm not being unromantic about it. It's just like that. You can have that. It can look like that. You just have to be looking for it and and not, you know, expecting that it's, it, that everything else is going to stay the same. I also wonder if the the swath of time, like the, the time of their lives that we're viewing also informs it to a certain degree. I mean, we're meeting them post-college. So let's just assume they're in their, I guess, mid to late 20s, I guess. We'll just say we're, we're sort of seeing them from, I mean- Well, they're 22 when it starts and then she's 27 yeah. and then she's 32 okay. when the movie ends. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's a good period. period. I'm yeah. upset by the fact that Meg Ryan was 27 years old when she shot this movie. Is that crazy? I was just, I'm just. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's, I'm, it's, it's <laughs> things used to be so different. Like the, the it, she, it's, it's a very mature grown up performance today. A 27 year old probably is working on Riverdale. So it's, I, it like things have just changed. And, and then you have situations where like there are the, Who's this? There's some actress who just kind of broke through, and she's 38. And you're just like, how did that happen? Where this well, Jessica person- Chastain was in her mid 30s when she broke out, you know, and this she'd been working forever. Now. And and I like I I think that she's one of the best actresses we have now. Really? Like I think she's fantastic. I, yeah, I'm not saying it's a it's an age thing. I think it's just like upsetting to me that I was like, wow, cool, you accomplished that when you were 27. Great. I Great was bar. More, yeah, Thanks well, you, I mean, come on. But I was more kind of blown away that like Billy Crystal was like a 31-year-old divorcee. Uh, he's yeah. not, by the way. He's like 40 when he shot the movie. Yes, that's true. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. supposed to be a 30. Like that's to me, that's a, that's a very different thing. The idea that someone could have lived a whole life. Mm-hmm. With a whole spouse, <laughs> and had that end by the time yeah. you're 32. Yeah, 32 year olds are babies, and uh-huh. to have like gone through that kind of like emotional roller coaster trauma situation, it's traumatic for all parties to go through that. It's kind of crazy. I, I think that there's, I, I, I this weird thing to say. All right, so this movie's made 30 years ago. Life expect- expectancy in the world probably or in America probably hasn't gone up more than three or four years in this period of time, right? If at all. We're probably mm-hmm. still talking about an average of about 75. I think it's like 78 for women, 73 for men, something like that. Uh, it's probably pretty much the same. Yet, it does feel like people were in such a hurry 
to get going back then. Like yeah. this, this new thing in the last 20 years where you're kind of allowed to figure things out in your 20s, I do think in some ways is kind of a wonderful Where were you growing up? Because <laughs> I was not there. <laughs> you weren't allowed to figure things out in your 20s? I I mean I had to tell myself it was okay to figure myself figure things out but no I mean I what you're talking yes I I agree with you and I disagree with you I mean I think there is like this classic American thing which is like you have to get going it's yeah. it's there was some meme going around yesterday that was like sorry I couldn't respond to your email I was distracted by a revolution or whatever it was and like yeah. uh you know like thanks so much for sending the work email in the middle of this you know things like that yeah. because there is this like classic American thing, which is like, if we're not working seven days a week, 20 hours a day, then we feel instinctually like failures, which I do not think is healthy and we shouldn't have in our society, but it is what it is. And it's a baby boomer thing. It's an eighties thing. It's all of this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say it's really in the last like 10 years that sort of you've been allowed to fuck up in your twenties or do your thing in your twenties. I definitely hit 27 was like, if I don't take a vacation, then I'm going to collapse and never do anything. It's, but so then I quit my job and became a writer. It's a little different though than what I thought I was saying. I'm not necessarily saying that people in their twenties feel that way. Mm. I'm saying that society has allowed for a 10 year period from post, you know, post college for those of us who go to about 30 where nothing really counts anymore. Like, If you met somebody who uh, – for any job and they really didn't have any experience above entry level before 30, big deal, right? Like that seems pretty normal nowadays. Yes. But 30, I would, 30 years ago, you'd say what, what happened that you didn't have any – that you weren't going to move up or you didn't you know, run someone's presidential campaign by the time you were 30. Yeah. So I, I would also say too that, that like – you can kind of mess up more in your 30s or make more significant changes in your life in your 30s than you were quote unquote allowed to. Because before. everything is stretched out. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. a lot of this is because the baby boomers aren't letting go. <laughs> a lot of this is because the people who used to kind of be either aged out or retired um, are still in their jobs. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad thing either. I'm just saying this is the way it is. Still in their jobs longer and longer and longer with, with uh, as much power as they've always had. So people just aren't able to move up and get in as quickly as possible. And the people that it always falls disproportionately on are marginalized people. So that is just kind of what's happened. But yeah, you are allowed, I think, to to work through the slower. Yes, I I totally agree with that. I think – I think you there is a grace now given to people in their 20s and 30s of like – Let's figure. I I also think there's like a more articulate conversation about mental health and, you know, what is life worth living if you're just working 23 hours a day. And, you know, I I think there's a more open conversation rather than just like rub some dirt on it. You'll figure it out. Um, And so there's that that's changed for sure. But I think, you know, I, I also think that I mean, in this movie, he's supposed to be 27 and he's a political consultant and she's a journalist. Right. I was like, Literally, when I was 27, I quit my job to go write full time and then was like, I'll sell something. And then six months later, I was like, that's so much harder than I thought it would be um, because I was inexperienced and naive and I and also privileged in thinking like, well, I worked hard, so it should work, right? 
And Sally Albright did it, and you know Harry Burns did it, and those were my icons. All of these people, all of these people throughout history, history, like it's we. I think we have been conditioned by by media from the eighties and nineties to think that you can be at the top of your field by the time you're thirty. Absolutely, is insane. Like it it should. It should, yeah. it should also be said, too, that another reason that I don't think this movie could be made today, or at least not made like the way it was made in 89, is that their jobs don't play a role in the plot at all. At all. Like, it's, it's which Good. is so refreshing and lovely <laughs> to not have these, like, job stakes added on to everything. Because if it was made today, they'd be like, well, there's no there's no stakes, and what, what why, why am I supposed to care? And it's like, oh, because they're fucking humans that mm-hmm. you love, and you mm-hmm. want to go on this journey with them, and you want to see them happy. But it's amazing. It's crazy that they're. They never talk about their jobs at all. <laughs> it's just like this is what I do. This is what I do. Cool. Yeah. Great. <laughs> the, most, the most that a job is talked about is with um, Bruno Kirby yeah. and Carrie Fisher. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Which was like um, I love Bruno Kirby. Oh, oh he's so good so, in this. He's so great. I mean, he he was such a wonderful actor, and um, we lost him too soon, unfortunately. Yeah. Far too soon, mm-hmm. and he was just he and Carrie Fisher are so great for their little like screen time they have together. Yeah. It's so fun. I love them. Well, it's it's funny because I, I I said this to my roommate last night, and she laughed at me. But um, the, the truth is that when I think of Carrie Fisher. This is the role I think of. It's mm. not Princess Leia. As great as she is as Princess Leia, and it's not that I don't associate her with that role, but I've seen her so many times in this that this, for whatever reason, is the Carrie Fisher that's imprinted in my brain, and she's so good in this and so funny in this. Um, I want to just very briefly talk about the casting a little bit because the casting is sort of insane in terms of the people that were up for these roles and turned down the role. Um, Tom Hanks and uh, Albert Brooks both turned down the role of Harry. Uh, Michael Keaton, Bill Murray, Jeff Bridges, Harrison Ford were all considered before Billy Crystal. Um, I don't really, I mean, I could see a Tom Hanks version of this. I mean, obviously Tom Hanks becomes a Nora Ephron, you know, staple. Uh, Albert Brooks, I guess, maybe, I don't know. It doesn't seem right, but. (laughs) That's like a broadcast news, Albert Brooks version, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah. And the others, like Bill Murray, Jeff Bridges, and Harrison Ford, make no sense to me whatsoever. Like those are people that just don't make any sense. Um, I mean, on the- Harrison Ford is like, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure like, Harrison Ford is going to do Last Crusade, but he's like, hang on, let me go do When Harry Met Sally. If Billy Crystal never did this movie, Billy Crystal yeah. wouldn't make any sense to me either. Like, yes, I, this yes. is bizarre to, and I've said this to you before, Phil. Like having watched it again, Billy Crystal pulling off swarthy confident alpha yeah. male at yeah. least until at least until he gets left by helen is a shock to me and he <laughs> pulls it off so well and yes. he is so attractive i totally get the movie i think it's a testament to just how good actors are in general because- <laughs> it's also i think it is a testimony to chemistry like they have chemistry oh I mean, my god dude just like i not to 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 circle back too much but like long shot that movie wouldn't have worked if seth and Charlize didn't have the chemistry that they had totally. and sometimes you can't write that you can't direct that you can't expect it they just have it and the t- and meg ryan and billy crystal mm-hmm. have this chemistry that's like playful but sexy and confident and it's I would not have believed it if um, unless it existed. I wouldn't have been like, oh yeah, Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal, that one. But and it's also it, like, it works. but it's it, also it's, they're it's, not bringing it, any baggage to it either, right? Like these are two names that don't aren't names. I mean, Meg certainly isn't, and Billy is to a certain degree, but not obviously to this degree. 
I think that's also part of it. You have to take some credit for it, though, and I'm sure you do. But you you have to take some credit for when for Harry it. met Sally. I absolutely do. I'll hold the credit. <laughs> because I mean, just look at, for instance, uh, Pretty Woman versus Runaway Bride. Um, sure, two actors <laughs> having chemistry mean nothing if the movie just doesn't give them stuff to work with. And- to be fair, there's a scene in Runaway Bride that I quote often. Oh so I will Which one? The one where she's testing, like it's the montage where she's testing out all the things that she likes because she doesn't know. I actually think it's a genius character montage for the film that she like sure. doesn't know what she likes. And so she tests all these things and that's how she shows up at his apartment and is like, I like this and I like this. I actually really like that. But I, yes, by the way, I, I, there's no, it, there's not one thing that does it. Yeah. But if the writing is good, the directing is good, everything is good, and the two leads have no chemistry, you're falling you're flat doomed. on your face. Yeah. yeah, you're doomed. I mean, Meg Ryan, who – so the, the Rob Reiner apparently initially uh, offered the role to Susan Day from L.A. Law at the time. Uh, he envisioned the role of, of Sally as her. She turned it down. Uh, then he went uh, Elizabeth Perkins, Elizabeth McGovern, and then apparently Molly Ringwald was set to do it and then had to back oh, out wow. because of uh, scheduling conflicts. I mean, I just obviously none of us can envision this movie without Meg Ryan in it. I mean, it's it is a it is a star making performance. It is it, it she makes it look effortless. She's just tremendous in it. Um, it's it's hard to imagine any of these other people in the role. Molly Ringwald, I, I can understand like Hollywood logic of like yeah, we'll put Molly Ringwald in this, but it just it, they got we wouldn't have Katz's Deli if we didn't have if exactly. we didn't have Meg Ryan. It was her idea. Exactly. So exactly. Um, Meg. I caught like uh, half an hour of Top Gun mm. before I like She's this great. week. This week, mm-hmm. and it was when Goose was alive. So you know, yeah. sure, sure. Uh, she was so good. She's that. so good. Yeah. She's so good. The so singing, good. the singing song, yes. Uh, yes. singing yeah. scene with them, yeah. and great like, balls of fire. Yeah, yeah, great balls of fire, and yeah, like and then, when she's talking to um, whatever. Uh, Kelly McGillis? Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis. Yeah. She's talking to Kelly McGillis about uh, Maverick and all that. Like, yeah. she's great. Her haircut's great. I'm in. I'm Her like, haircut on. is great. And she's doing an accent too. She's, yep. she's really, she's great. She's yeah. selling it. And like Anthony Edwards and her. I, I mean, yeah. I'm fully on the Meg Ryan train. I uh, absolutely. Yeah. But I agree. it's also fascinating because like this movie, I, I this movie wouldn't. I mean, who knows? But I really just don't think this movie would have worked without her. I don't think this movie would have worked without Billy Crystal. Like, there is, and also, I agree, Billy Crystal's not the first person that would pop in my head to play this. But the thing that I really enjoy in doing a little bit of a deep dive on, a deep dive, a little dive, a pirouette <laughs> into a, a puddle this morning. A into, yeah. I tipped my toe into it. Um, was that like so much of the dialogue that Nora wrote in this was actually banter between Rob Reiner and Billy, Billy Crystal, Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> which I found so fascinating to be about a movie that like men and women can't be friends, and then so the male and female relationship that's written is actually technically two men, two men. but <laughs> you just add in that one is a woman. Um, it kind of reminds it, it, which it works. I love it. I mean, and I think. There's the making of it her own that Nora did and the making of it her own that Meg Ryan did and all of those things. I, I I find it so fascinating that Nora was just like, you two should be a couple. Yeah, you two. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 
I, I think that the the Meg Ryan thing that I also found interesting as I was doing some research on this is that she was apparently supposed to be the Julia Roberts role in Steel Magnolias, which she turned down to play Sally in, in When Harry Met Sally. Obviously, worked out well for both her and Julia Roberts. But uh, it, it's just, it, again, you can play this sort of game of like what could have been and if, if roles had gone differently. But, you know, it's it's... It was clearly a role made for her. You you referenced the the Cat's Deli orgasm scene, which again feels like what makes this movie work. There's a lot of things that make it work, but you mentioned earlier this confluence of everybody, right? It's all of these things coming together. It's Meg saying, "Well, why don't I just have an orgasm in this restaurant?" Mm-hmm. And Nora <laughs> saying, "That's really funny," and Billy saying, and then Rob's mom should say, "I'll have mm-hmm. what she's having." Like it's it's just all of the pieces clicking into place. And, you know, you watch that scene and that his mom delivers the line perfectly, but it's just, it's an iconic scene because all of the things are clicking and working and speaking to each other. And it's a testament to movie making being a collaborative effort of multiple people. And this idea of it being one person is absurd. Well, sometimes, but like, I think the (laughs) other thing that, I think the other thing that you're speaking to is movie making is always a collaborative effort, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what. But what I think happens a lot is people are afraid to play at the top of their intelligence. And whether it's because they're afraid that people won't get it or they're afraid that they'll be misunderstood or they're afraid that they're going to be, you know, look, they're going to sound patronizing or condescending or whatever. And uh, people dump down their their jokes or their or their ideas or they – Sometimes people are too afraid to be too earnest or sincere or anything. Um, I don't think that happened in this movie at any step of the way. I think everybody was playing at the top of their game and clearly they were very supported by the other people in this process. Like what you're talking about, Phil, I don't think let's have, how about if I have an orgasm in the middle of Cat's Deli is an idea that a lot of people would have had the guts to pitch. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying that like a lot of people would have thought of it, but I think that's one of those ideas where you're like, if this comes out wrong, you're going to think I'm crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, here's the bad pitch, and here's the bad pitch. I know it's bad, but like, let's just start here. And then everybody was like, oh, that's not a bad pitch. We should do that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think that everything, every film, every show, everything that's a visual um, narrative medium is collaborative. It has to be. I think it's both a safe environment that allows the creativity to come out. I also think it's people are not afraid to sacrifice their egos. That's, I think, the greatest stumbling block in collaboration is that someone's ego gets in the way. And it can be anybody Um, and it can be anybody at at any level. And this film really does feel like it was, there are parts of this movie that you can say like, this is fully Rob Reiner. There are parts of this movie you can say this is fully Nora Ephron, Meg Ryan, um, Billy Crystal, Bruno Kirby, Carrie Fisher. Um, Carrie Fisher, by the way, who's an incredible writer in her own right. so I think that that for me is what stands out. Whenever I see a movie like this, which, you know, I think we talked about this last time, like perfect movies, you know, it's that this movie could not be, it doesn't mean that there's no flaws in it. It just means that 
there's no better version of this movie. And I, I, when you see those movies, it's really almost always because the collaboration is there and it's egoless. Mm-hmm. And it's, and that doesn't mean that people's egos don't come out at times, but it means that there's somebody there who's like, yo, check yourself. And you're like, right, copy, got it. We're on the same team. And I, and I think that that is where I get the most excited when you see something. You're like, man, it just looks like they had fun making this. Yep. Well, that, yep. you know, I mean, my understanding from um, basically listening to like the blank Chuck about this is that's kind of Rob Reiner's superpower, that he is egoless. He is willing to take an idea from anywhere. He is willing to say that the gaffer is the guy who had the best idea. I think there was some some story where he had a had a bonus if someone could come up with the best joke for mm-hmm. you know so best button for a scene and it was one of the crew members or even a PA I think um, that is to 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 have the as a director to have the self confidence to say I may not be the best one for this moment it's like like God grant me that kind of like you know awareness and 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 that that ability to to trust other people i i really it's really something well, you never lose anything by crediting somebody with the with their idea i'm no. sorry you just don't yeah. you, just, you lose you, something you when only you steal gain. someone's idea yeah, you and you don't credit them but yeah. you will yeah. never lose anything if you credit someone with their idea period it's yeah. just the the idea that you know it's like this film by thing it's like a film by really do you hold that light while you directed it and starred in it and scored it and cut yeah. it? Really? Yeah. You did that? Um, it, it's that this is a collaboration and to not credit the people who are helping you do that is really, as always, just like, ugh, it irks me because you didn't have all the best ideas for this. You couldn't have. No. It's, I mean, it's, it, it takes a universe of people to make television, to make movies. It takes all of these things. And, 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 it, and to Kenny's point and your point, the fact that Rob, is, Rob Reiner is willing to sort of give people that credit, allow those reins to exist. I mean, another thing that hit me last night as I was watching it is even the bit parts in this movie are care- like great casting on even those roles. People that have one line. I think about the, the waitress in the diner at the mm-hmm. beginning when mm-hmm. she just goes, uh-huh, after <laughs> she gives, or, or or the guy on the airplane who's sitting mm-hmm. in between them who's and like he's getting, <laughs> he's like, he's really enjoying he's it. Enjoy, like that type of stuff just makes it feel so lived in. It makes them, everyone's a person. I was even thinking there's, there's that wide shot of, uh, of Billy and, uh, and, Cur- and Bruno Kirby at the, the football game. Mm-hmm. Everyone in that shot feels like a character. Like they all feel oh, like yeah. real people. It's mm-hmm. great. That was a great thing in the eighties that happened. Well, I, the kid I, also with the batting cages, who like yes, the yes. With Billy Crystal. <laughs> I think the it's dude great. on the plane is a really good observation because if that guy screws up his one line and his facial <laughs> acting, the audience yep. will feel really uncomfortable about what we're doing. Right, like <laughs> it's very voyeuristic. It's particularly voyeuristic to to be looking in on these moments in characters' lives. And he, I watched most of this movie with a smile on my face, right? But not a bit like, ah, I'm so excited to watch people like make out smile on my face. Like, I'm delighted. And for him to kind of cue to me mm-hmm. that that's how, like, that, that that's an okay way to feel. I want to know what's next. I'm not too creepy. You can have the seat. Mm-hmm. I'll sit back, but this is kind of an exciting moment. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think, like, you're right, Phil. I think those little things are super important. 
I just want to give a brief synopsis for the people that haven't seen. If, if I guess there might be people. Oh, that you made it this winner. far and you haven't seen it? Ugh, good I'm luck. Just, yeah, exactly. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's 1977. College graduates Harry Burns, played by Billy Crystal, Sally Albright, played by Meg Ryan, share a contentious car ride from Chicago to New York, during which they argue about whether men and women can ever truly be strictly platonic friends. Ten years later, Harry and Sally meet again at a bookstore and in the company of their respective best friends, Jess, played by Bruno Kirby, and Marie, played by Carrie Fisher, attempt to stay friends without sex becoming an issue between them. When Harry and Sally opened on July 14th, 1989, in 11th place, they platformed it, uh, with $1.3 million behind Lethal Weapon 2, Batman, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids just to give you a sense of what the competition was that weekend. Uh, it has 91% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 89 from audiences. When Harry Met Sally also lost Best Original Screenplay to Thomas Shulman's Dead Poets Society. The other nominees that year were Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors. It's a hell of a category. It's five pretty pretty solid films right there. Um uh, Roger Ebert gave it three stars, uh, said when Harry Metzali is about two people who could be characters in a Woody Allen movie if they weren't so sunny and about how it takes them about 12 years to fall in love. Uh, we're, uh, we're with them or maybe a little ahead of them every step of the way. Uh, Efron's dialogue represents the way people would like to be able to talk. It's witty and there are lots of lines to quote when you're telling your friends about the movie. The dialogue would defeat many actors, but Crystal and Ryan help make it work, help to make it work. Their characters seem smart and quick enough to almost be this witty. It's occasionally that the humor is paid for at the expense of credibility as in a hilarious but unconvincing scene where Sally sits in a crowded restaurant and demonstrates how to fake an orgasm. I laugh, but somehow I don't think Sally or any woman would really do that. Bro, well, uh, someone, I'm sorry. Someone, <laughs> Someone feels threatened. Does, does clearly. not prove Meg Ryan's point right there. Sally Whoa. Albright's point. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you just gotta point that so, out for a second. It's yeah, so interesting to hear the the films that Ebert got and the films yep. that Ebert didn't get because sometimes yep. he's dead on. I mean, I'm talking 30 years in the future, but sometimes he's dead on, and sometimes he just misses the boat. And I wonder why he missed the boat on this one. Well, I think it's. I mean, look, I think it's a. Uh, it was an unconventional movie for that time. It's not your typical rom-com. It's well, it's not even typical rom-com. It's not your typical like romance. No. Yeah. It's also it's about two adults. It's not about teenagers falling in love. It's not, you know, a wistful, it's not Casablanca. It's not the way we were. You know, this is yeah. like a straight rom-com. And it's about two adults who are slightly sardonic and yeah, I guess don't talk like people talk. Let me yep. see one of his Sorkin reviews, see if he said the same thing about him. <laughs> or I, I will say, though, this also taps into something that uh, Rob Reiner said, which is when they tested it, and they, he was in the test screenings, women were howling during the fake orgasm scene, men not so much. I think that it's possible that there were some men that were a little threatened, perhaps. It's 100%, what, it's 100% because every man who watched it for the first time was like, that's not real. <laughs> No. And then as it goes on, they're like, holy oh, no. shit. <laughs> I have a question. I have a question. List. It's not the same thing, but it's, 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 it's to me, to me, it's like your, you know, your orgasm moment. It's literally the orgasm moment in long shot. When they both orgasm in, what was it? Half a second? What was the thought process there? Because that to me feels like this that there there's something about that moment that was so I come onto this pod for the deep questions. <laughs> no, no problem. Uh so it was there was something I don't know. There, there was something uh, honestly, there. Yeah. Honestly, um the up I'm what I will point to is that Charlize defended it and she was like, 
it's happened. So I'll leave it that the conversation. Oh, I'm really, certainly not knocking it. I no, I, no, no. I'm not. Yeah. I'm I'm saying it because there were like nineteen thousand pieces written about it of like how this could never happen, and I was like, mm. and then which is fine. Um, but uh, uh, the conversation about it honestly <laughs> is like, you know, it actually the the most fun thing about that movie truly was every conversation was about character and about their romance and about like their friendship at first, and I think. It's so funny because I re- I did not watch When Harry Met Sally when we were writing it, um, and I'd seen it you know years before. I've, I've seen it more than once than I watched it this morning. I've seen it a number of times, but I just hadn't watched it while we were wa- while we were making Longshot. And in a lot of ways, Longshot was about friendship and and about this deeper kind of love that that is romantic, but that is safe. And I don't mean safe because it's not scary. I mean that when you find your person you feel safe with them and that lets you open up in a way that you're not expecting and that you don't have with other friends and you can mistake it as friendship and not as love and all these stupid things that we do because we're idiots. Um, but I think, so So the thing about that was like getting to their sex scene. I mean, I, I, I when we were writing the movie, it was, you know, Dan Sterling, my co-writer and myself and, and um, John Levine, the director and Seth and Charlize was very involved. And so it was like all of us kind of trying to, to, figure out this movie at once. And, you know, the thing that really wound up getting to that scene is like, she probably hasn't had sex in a long time. He definitely hasn't had sex in a long time. So, you know, it probably <laughs> happened pretty quick. Yeah. What I, I, I guess what I'm yeah. getting at is like, it's the opposite of the, of the Harry met Sally scene from a male point of view, which is I've so, so often you see this like male sexual embarrassment played right. out in terms of men ejaculate in seven seconds and ruin the moment and the girl say it's, says it's okay. But to see it the other way and whether or not it really happens, frankly, I don't care. It happened in the movie, so I believed it. Um, but whether it's or not- It's a biopic, it, so it all happened. So, it all- <laughs> <laughs> so that, it, <laughs> there, was something very, there was something very comforting about that moment. It's like, so- well, I do think – going to what you're saying, I do think it's because there were a lot of women involved behind the scenes on Longshot. Like I think it was – it's not a strictly male POV or it's, it's not a movie told through a male POV, lens. Right? It's very female-driven and it's very – a lot of it is from the female perspective and 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 if not um, character narratively, although she is – she has, you know – plenty of POV scenes. It is behind the scenes is that I was involved. Charlize was involved. Beth Kono, who's a producer on it was involved. Like there were a lot of people involved who had very strong opinions and voices that felt like if we're going to do a rom-com, let's do it where like, this is actually a woman we could see in real life. Uh, And and to take it just a a step further, it's about power, right? It's about the power dynamics and the assumption when men have sexual uh, inadequacy, is that they're supposed to be powerful in bed. So when they quote unquote screw up, they're embarrassed and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. To see the other side of that, because she clearly has, you know, the hand in this relationship. That's part of what this is about. And for her to quote unquote screw up and then say, I'm sorry, <laughs> was it really, really brought that whole idea full circle that, you know, the, it- it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I think that there's this idea, you see it in movies over and over again, that even when the woman is higher status than the men, then the woman's higher status than the man in, in life and profession and career, in the bedroom... The man is now higher status again, mm-hmm. right? And that brings into some stuff that I think people know where I'm going and it's kind of uncomfortable. But for you to carry this through the whole movie was really great. And as someone, you know, who married someone three years older than me, who was like technically my boss at the time, I understand <laughs> where that comes from. I understand where that kind of desire to be guided and led and 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 and, and kind of, you know, almost taught through all of these kind of relationship processes comes from and you know i so yes i really could relate to that now bringing it back to when harry met sally in in you know kind of this power dynamic situation what i think this movie does harry but sally it's kind of revolutionary is give her agency and pov throughout the entire movie particularly when it comes to sex which Mm -hmm. i don't really think happened that often in movies at this time well, I think you're tapping into something that I wanted to ask you guys about because you're both married and I'm not. So there's a there's a uh, there's a review uh, that Sonia Saraya on uh, Vanity Fair said something that I thought was really interesting. She said, 30 years after it premiered, I'm finally in the kind of romantic partnership the movie depicts. I'm not entirely sure if studying the film has prepared me for this marriage, as I sort of hoped it would, but it was a little affirming and a little painful to watch the movie again and feel so close to its ups and downs, the push and pull of intimacy, the slow pace of personal growth. When Harry Met Sally has served as this example I could keep in my pocket of what love should feel like, an endless unspooling conversation with a partner who, like a counterweight, provides equilibrium. And I think that that taps into what both of you are saying. But Kenny, to your point, there's a balance in this movie that perhaps most movies or, or certainly movies of the time didn't search out. Part of that probably has to do with the fact that it's you know written by Nora Ephron and she wanted that female voice, understandably so. But the relationship and this like I was I was watching it again last night and thinking about these little things that are happening to get them closer together. I mean, there's actually a whole uh, and I'll, I'll post this on, on our Twitter feed. There's a whole article about how the film visually, all the two shots of them slowly get closer together mm-hmm. until they have sex and they get apart and then they get closer again. Like there's a visual component of this movie actually telling you the story, you know, silently through images. But that equilibrium that they find, I think, is is tremendous part of it obviously in the casting part of it in the writing but also just in showing that a relationship should go to should go both ways i mean their first fight that they have together. With you. she's fully in <laughs> like i try and tell this to the dog all the time relationship you just won't listen don't listen really talkative today but i but i think about their their fight that they have after the wagon wheel uh, coffee table mm-hmm. debacle mm-hmm. and how you know they punch below the belt. They Aww. really kind of hurt yeah. each other in that scene. It's it's really it's and it allows them to be emotionally exposed enough so that the sex scene feels 
plausible and feels possible. It's those kind of things that are sort of subtextually existing in the film that I just think are, are really tremendous. There's a there's a line after they sleep together when um, it's after the dinner and they're like, you know, uh, it was such a mistake. And so then they leave the dinner and <laughs> Billy Crystal and Bruno Kirby are speed walking in spandex through Central Park. <laughs> which, which, which men do now again. Uh, is just iconic. <laughs> the way their hips move and sway. Yeah, they're is, really, really bringing it. Yeah. I mean, Billy Crystal's legs look great. Never look better. <laughs> yeah, but um, there's a line where he says, like, you know, the thing is when you go to dinner somebody with somebody, you tell them your stuff, they tell you your stuff, and then you keep, you know, and you tell your stories, they tell your stories. But the problem is, like, I know all her stories, and now we've had sex. And it's like, I'm butchering the line. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, like marriage and partnership is kind of always that is like you're telling your stories, you're telling their stories, they tell your stories become each other's stories. And in the best partnerships, you don't run out of stories or you like have life experiences and you go through it and you do all these things and you you never get bored. That's, I think, the thing. And and the ebbs and flows of life you you do together and the like the, mm-hmm. you know, creepiest like Hallmark <laughs> ad for marriage. But I think the real it's a partnership is really about the fact that you don't get bored when they tell you the same story like seven times, you know, or even though, <laughs> and by the way, I do it. I do it a lot. My husband and I have this thing now where there's like this, um, there's this college football ad for like Doritos or something like that, but it's this guy in a bar and he um, calls his wife who's at home like folding laundry and He's like, hey, honey, I'm still at the bar. And she's like, uh-huh. And he's like, and I met this guy and it's great. And like, he went to Ohio State and I went to Ohio State. And she's like, I know where you went, honey. Or I know where you're from, honey. And, that's like, and he's like, okay, great. I'm going to go hang out with him. Bye. And it's anytime my husband and I tip, either of us tiptoe into a story we've told like enough times that it's going to drive each other crazy. It's, I know where you're from, honey. And so it's like, you know, as long as you have the safe phrase or safe word to get into it. But I do think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting. It goes back to our original conversation, right? Of like watching this in your teens and twenties versus watching it in your thirties and definitely watching it. it, I've been with my husband for eight years. We've been married for three, like watching it now. It's so different and so affirming. And also like, I also feel like Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby's relationship is, is equally real. You know, that sometimes in rom-coms, the side relationships become caricatures um, because so much focus is put on the main relationship. But I feel like Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher have a completely different trajectory than them. And it feels so real. And the moment when they're in bed after the, the amazing best. phone call and she's like, promise me I'll never have to be out there again. And it's this really romantic, but normal, like mm-hmm. not sexy, not anything relationships. It's just stable and safe and comforting. And that to me is one of the most romantic scenes in the movie is this like, I got you. You're never going to be out there again. Oh, I totally agree with you. That 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 couple is iconic because of that moment. Sounds great, guys. Uh, I look forward to it someday. Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, whatever film. <laughs> you fight a lot too. You know, you fight. You fight. It's, it's terrible. Never mind. Yeah, I'm just you're, kidding. You're, you're I'm just kidding. But there was. I'm sorry. You 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 made me. Well, and if any married couple has made it through oh. a pandemic, bless. Yeah, you're good. You're good. You know what I was thinking during this movie because I, I I like to think of uh, the Bruno Kirby Carrie Fisher relationship in in you know in contrast to the Billy Crystal um, Meg Ryan relationship. 
And it reminded me of Ross and Rachel versus Monica and Chandler. Totally. Sometimes these things happen very slowly over the course of a decade. And sometimes they just happen. Mm-hmm. And not one isn't better than the other. One isn't more value, valid than the other. Both are really interesting and compelling stories, how you get there. Um, I really like that they were able to tell a 10-year romance like this that didn't start with romance, that ended with romance in a way that made it feel like the most fucking romantic thing in the world. Because I think that goes against all of our instincts when we think about love, love at first sight and high school sweethearts and getting married before a certain age and all those things that see, you know, uh, all of our ideas about royalty and all those things um, that, that seem to inform what we think we're supposed to do by a certain age. And again, they're only 32. So this goes back to my early argument. 32 is 50. <laughs> but um, there is something really, really beautiful about these people growing into each other and getting to the place mm-hmm. where, they're, where they're comfortable with understanding that this is my person. This is my lobster. This is my lobster. Oh. Bring a, bring a I, I, I think that, um, I mean, listen, there isn't a, much of a plot necessarily for us to, to, to go through since everyone knows like they're friends and then they have sex and then they're not friends mm-hmm. and then they're friends again and they get married. Like we don't need to talk about the plot, but, but there are kind of things that I do want to jump into just along the way that, that, that I did love. I love their drive together at the beginning. Um, it's great, but there's one line that's really stuck with me over the many years, um, which is when he's talking about um, preparing for the worst Oh, and yeah. how, like, when the shit comes down, I'm going to be prepared, and you're not. That's all I'm saying. And then she says, and in the meantime, you're going to ruin your whole life waiting for it. I think about that way too often. <laughs> where, do you, where do you stand now, Phil? Like, I, I have a feeling that you were you were very much on the Harry side for a lot of your life, and may still be. But mm-hmm. in that that particular little nugget, yeah. What did you feel watching that yesterday? Or watching what? it last night, I definitely did find myself. I want to be Sally. Um, like that, my, my, my hope is that I am closer to Sally in terms of living your life and not worrying about the things that are coming down the pike, but I'm also a neurotic Jewish writer. So I am also scared of my shadow. So, I mean, these are just things that are, that, that I think are sort of, they wrestle inside me, I guess, to some degree or another. But, um, I just, I think that what's great about their drive is, uh, and, and by that, I mean like the literal car ride that they do at the beginning of the film, um, is that it still feels youthful. Like mm-hmm. admittedly their hair is absurd and I, I don't really believe that they're in their twenties, but or in their early twenties, but it is what it is. Uh it, it's 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 really such a a wonderfully condensed amount of time. I think it's about 10 minutes of the film, if I'm not mistaken. And what they're able to accomplish in their characters in terms of defining who they are. I mean, just in little things, like at the end, I love that Sally's doing the math of mm-hmm. the tip for the mm-hmm. check. And mm-hmm. when he gets up, he just he throws just a throws, crumpled yeah. bill on the yeah. table. Like, it's just like that defines them perfectly. You don't, you don't need more than that to understand who these two people are. Um, you know it's, what I it's, loved? Please. About this... 10-minute stretch and one immediately followed it. Um, Billy Crystal's a total asshole during this entire stretch. (laughs) I think saying that I have a dark side and then talking about death to someone you barely know is is barbaric. It's sociopathic. It's also like I feel like I – I mean I went to art school. I feel like those are most of the men that I knew and like maybe this is why the movie was hard for me in my early 20s. It was like spitting grape seeds at my fucking window and talking about death and Nietzsche. It was like, all right, let's calm down. Go see Fallen New York. He's an animal. Uh, What I love about this is 
she doesn't fall in love with this version of him. Mm-hmm. She hates this version of him. Like, it's not that, like, fake-ass, like, romantic comedy. I hate you, but, like, deep down, I love you. No, no. She fucking hates it. Mm-hmm. Like, the audience, like, <laughs> understands that there's a spark between them. And the audience feels a little something when they walk away and they and they do nothing. But, like, I really believe her when you see her the next time in the airport. And she says, that guy was an asshole. He made a pass at me. I don't need to be near him. Like, I'm yeah. happy he didn't know me. So I, I think that's really great. I think it's a gr- great way to set up this character. I think it's a great way to show that he is a he is someone who considers himself to be high status in Alpha. And she is someone who is actually high status because she doesn't need his fucking shit. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. I agree. I also think it comes back around to the very end of the movie – which I was, I have I was, I was talking to my friend Elise about this today, and she brought this up that um, when he hurts her and she cuts him off, and and she like makes him win her back, like when she when he shows up and gives this big speech and is like, I love you and all of this. It's like that's not the point. Like you can't just say all these things. You have to make me believe it. You can't just say I love you because you're lonely. And that I think is such a great arc for the character it feels true for the character but it also feels like i knew that guy 20 years ago and he <laughs> yeah. was a dick and like yeah. you you can change and you can grow but you're kind of always going to be that guy so like you got to prove to me that you're not that guy who's saying this now that you're the guy that i love is saying it now and that's what i think is wonderful because like it makes him want her more is this reality check and it makes her want him in that he steps up to the plate and says, like, okay, yeah, you're right. This is why. And it's not just because, you know, it's it's not just because of I'm lonely and it's New Year's and I was a dick. I think there's also something great, too, about how they're, they're, they're always kind of subtly calling back to the drive a little bit. I mean, there's the moment when uh, they're in the airport on the moving uh, sidewalk thing, and she says, I thought you said that men and women can't be friends. Like, I never said that. And then he goes, mm-hmm. and like, okay, maybe I did say that. She's like, yeah. I love that. So, then, like, later when they're watching Casablanca together, and he says, remember when we were driving, and you yeah. said that? And she's like, I would never say that. I was like, fine. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just the fact that they, they're constantly checking each other and, and kind of shrugging off when they fight it because they, it's just, it's, it's great stuff. Great. He's, he, um, he, yeah. he's so good in the like I mean I really do feel like I could talk for just hours and hours and hours on about this. I think we did that last time with Heat. <laughs> with, in, with Insider. I think oh, yeah, Insider. I, it became I, a Heat podcast. Yeah, yeah. It became a Heat podcast. <laughs> I but um he is so good because what you I what I feel is you know he had kind of two major life events happen since college. One was getting divorced and the other was meeting Sally. Mm-hmm. Right. And he grew so much from mm-hmm. someone who can't imagine being friends with a woman to someone who like gives platonic kisses on the lips. Yep. To, uh, truly platonic. That's the most 80s thing, by the way, of this movie. <laughs> My parents still do it with their friends. It's, it's But it's like the insane. most 80s, early 90s thing with the movie is that like male and female friends just kiss each other on the lips. Like, I don't think so. I don't no. think so. I think but there that. is something very sweet about like the the mm-hmm. intimacy without romance element yeah. to it. That the guy who's sitting in the car spitting grape seeds um, on the window would never begin to understand. So I think that like I think that's really kind of brilliant and beautiful. So. No, I, I I agree. With, I I one of the notes I took was that when they do decide to become friends you absolutely believe that they would be friends at this point in their lives. I mean, that mm-hmm. is that is a testament to obviously acting, the writing, directing, but like 
it's just to your point, Kenny, he's had these things happen that have kind of broken him down a little bit, or at least sort of opened him up emotionally, or at least given him the ability to perhaps have some, some self-awareness. Um, and she's opened herself up to someone who's quite frankly, a little aggravating and a little bit, a little bit kind of much. So you do buy these two kind of. In what th- way? In what way? <laughs> I think she's totally relaxed. Totally relaxed. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this brings us sort of to this, this, the, the montage essentially of their friendship, which has sort of is, is punctuated by a couple of things. There's Sally's sex dream, which is amazing, which is just <laughs> a faceless man tears off her clothes. And that's the sex dream she's been having since she was like 17. Um, <laughs> since she was 12. Since she was 12. She's been having that dream. Um, there's the, the pepper on the, the paprikash scene, which mm-hmm. apparently was ad libbed. And if you actually look 30 seconds into the scene, Meg laughs and looks off camera to Rob Reiner, which is amazing. Well, that's also, that's the voice he does in The Princess Bride. So I was like, that's a Billy Crystal move. Like literally every time I watch that scene, I'm like, I know this voice. It's in The Princess Bride. This is his character voice in that. I love this scene. Like, I I think just going back to what you were saying, Kenny, and and, like the moments in their relationship, when they have the fight after the wagon wheel and they're out there and... He's like, can I say something? And then he just collapses and he's like, I'm so sorry. That is A, like the most – it's like if I were her, I'd be like, yeah, we're going to sleep together. A man just apologized to me like without any (laughs) any requirements? Okay. But um, like that – I just think like that shows his character growth. It shows his depth. It shows the fact that he respects her and and loves her – and the intimacy, regardless of being romantic, is I hurt this person. I said really mean things, and I have to own up to them. I I totally feel what you said. It's a it's a weird thing to say. It's a very sexy moment. Like yeah, it is. totally, it's totally just, agree with you. It's a sexy moment when he does that. Um, I I have great respect. Again, this is one of those things where I think when it was pitched. People would have been like, that? Really? That's that's like their – no, great respect for everybody for going along with it because that really, really sells that relationship in that moment. So. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It is and, – and this comes back to, you know, Ken, you, you, you mentioned a couple of times like watching this again this time at this place in my life and how the film changes – along with me and how I perceive it. But like that scene last night watching it, like I got emotional watching. Like it's a beautiful scene of – I just, I, I mean, obviously I love that she stands up for herself. She's like, fuck you. Like, just because I haven't slept with half of New York doesn't mean that that's going to, I mean, that doesn't make me a better person or a worse person. Um, but but him hugging her and then, you know, you, you, you sort of, you got New Year's Eve and them dancing cheek to cheek and silently again, this is sort of, there are a couple moments for both of them. Uh, Billy and Meg that are so great, just silently telling you a whole story. Um, that obviously that moment, but also after they have sex, there's a moment where Meg is in the kitchen and she has this look on her face where you can tell that she's like, this was a mistake. I think this was a mistake, but then she blows it away and she just like smiles it away and kind of goes back. It's just that type of stuff that just says so much with a look is, is tremendous. Well, it's also like whenever I mean, I think Nora writes some of the most amazing dialogue um, and or did write some of the most amazing dialogue. I think Sorkin is similar, but the thing that both of them do that gets, I think, ignored because of how well they use words is how well they use silence. Yes. And I, I Nora, I mean, in this, all of those moments that you just talked about and also like in Sleepless when they finally meet on the top of the Empire State Building and there's this moment and it's so quiet. That scene is so quiet. 
and it's so beautiful and it, and you don't need to talk in that moment. Like, you know, everything's been said, you know, who they are, you know, what's going on. So I, um, I, I think people too often and young writers in particular too often are like, my dialogue has to be taking up every page and every scene and nobody will understand what's happening unless I tell them. Um, and it's like, no, actually silence. Look at your life. How, you know, that Kenny, I'm sure that if your wife looked at you and there were, she does not need words. and you would know what what that look meant but i also think that i also think there's a misnomer in the idea that writing is dialogue writing is also creating and sculpting a a situation right and just being able to allow those two characters to exist in a universe that in and of itself is everybody in a relationship not even in a you know romantic relationship relationship with anybody knows that the least important part are the words that you're actually saying Yep. It's, it's, I mean, I, and this is, this has been studied. It's mostly body language and tone. Yeah. So, you know, and that actually, that has very little to do with, with the writer. That has way more to do with the performing, the performance and the director. But what we can do is put them in a position where they, where those things are informed. Where there's space. Guy. Yeah. You leave it in the other guy's hands. I mean, by the other person, I mean the, the, the actor. Um, so I do think that, yeah, I think that that's another thing that Nora does really well. In her later movies, I think Rob Reiner does it really well. I think Aaron Sorkin's a really good call too. I think the idea of like, I did my job as a writer, mm-hmm. and I'm going to let you do your job as a director or producer or your actor or whatever, and see how you do it. And hands off. I mean, I they call it out in this movie, like the scene when they after it's like that was a mistake. Oh, I'm th- thank God you think that, and they're eating salad. And then he looks up and he's like, don't you just love when you can sit in <laughs> silence with somebody and it's the most awkward, <laughs> uncomfortable thing. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and throughout the previous, the previous uh, hour of the movie, they've been able to have silence and they've been able to have like kind of these moments where they don't have to fill the space. And it's actually a genius call out um, of what we're all thinking at the time. I have a question. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Can men and women be friends? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding because, like, I feel like, all right, so I, I think that I, I knew I, this was what you were going to ask, though. That's the best. Uh, yeah, I, mean. I have to ask it, but I have to, I have to frame it in this way. This is not just a question that's that was posed when Harry met Sally. This question was the dominant question in pop culture when it comes to men and women for about 45 years, for about 50 years, right? Until very recently, I'd say maybe like our generation, so maybe maybe 15 years ago, the idea of a man and a woman being friends platonically was not verboten. It was just like, is it possible? Mm-hmm. Who knows? And I do think that there was a lot of enlightened thought on the side of it's impossible, right? <laughs> Non-dummies thought like I like Harry's character in this non dummies thought it is impossible. Men and women are too different. There's too much in the middle of it. Uh, and then I would just want to, I just want to take one more step with this before, you know, I turn it over, which is does this movie come down on the side of it's impossible? So, I mean, I think so. Yeah. This so, movie's definitely saying that. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Where do you guys stand on this? I, I, I really think that it's not just as simple as saying in 2021, we're enlightened people and Mike Pence's wife is crazy because we're not letting him eat with uh, other women because, of course, men and women could be together. I don't think. Well, you know, women are just 
Well, they're climbing the ladder for I'm, Mike Pence right now. That's what they're looking for. I I think that it's uh, I think that it's <laughs> I, I I if your answer is no, it's it, it's possible. That's fine, but I do think that I do think that it needs to at least be discussed why people feel that way now versus <clears throat> before this generation, our generation, kind of took hold. I think contextualizing, I mean, I think it's probably impossible for men and women to be friends if both of them are single. I And, and I think if they're, and if you're like a Harry and Sally and you're close, close friends and you're both single and you're both in your 20s, like I find it, I find it probably improbable that emotions and feeling, emotions and feelings, that kind of thing. Too, feelings right? and physicality and things like that can't get mixed up in it. So I I personally think in that circumstance, I don't know that it's possible. Does it mean that you can't be friends again or there's different times in your life that you can be friends? Like I'm I have a lot of male friends and I feel very confident about that, but I'm also married and it's a very different situation. Like I think that the contextualization of it is really important. I also think that there's, you know, on some level, you have to- I really want to get your personal take on this. <laughs> I feel like you're about to give me some general statement, but you are a single man and you do have female friends. So I am I'm curious, uh-huh. not, to, not to totally pimp you out here, but I am uh-huh. curious where you come down on this because you do live this on a fairly, you know, you do live this regularly and this is I do- Patreon. We got to no, give it what they yeah, want. No, it's behind a paywall, so we're fine. No, I mean, I, I, I hear you. I mean, listen, it, it, the reality is that I do actually have a fair amount of female friends and I always have. I will say this. Uh, I have had girlfriends that are threatened by those relationships um, and, and don't really like me having a lot of female friends. Um, I tend to agree with Liz that if both people are in relationships, I don't see any reason for all intents and purposes why two people can't be friends. Myself in particular, I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 I've certainly been friends with, with women and then that has turned into a relationship. And then after the relationship, we're still friends. It's, it's happened. It's not, it's not impossible. What I was going to say before you asked me, Kenny, to be more specific about my personal situation <laughs> is that I think that there's also an element of like defining what friendship is to some degree. I think that there are people out there in the world where like, that have sex with their friends, like that, that can have sex with someone and then be friends with that person. I don't think that that was necessarily as much of a, a widely accepted thing perhaps in Mm -hmm. 89 or when this film came out. So I think that there's, there's definitely some element of that. Um, I mean, the reality is it's not binary. (laughs) And I think that this film tries to make it that because it needs to. Um, But I think that, uh, I appreciate Kenny asking the question because I was certainly going to ask it at some point. I think that there's something to be said for the fact that this film marketed itself on that notion. It was like literally mm-hmm. the tagline of the movie, like, can two people still have sex and be friends and whatever? Um, you know, I, I, I think that it's complicated and it should be. I don't think it's it's I, easy to, to answer. I very much want to believe that it's possible. Um, like, deeply. Now, I've been with Laura <laughs> since I was 25. So... You know, the period of my life where I, and then I was with my, my girlfriend for college until I was like 23. So the period of my life where I actually was like a single person and, you know, like that is very limited. I mean, we're talking about high school and we're talking about just a couple of years in my, in my twenties. And I had a lot of, I've always had a lot of female friends. Um, and, you know, 
I can't even really, I can't say definitively, like I didn't have that, those hairy thoughts where I was constantly like, is this going to be something more? Could this be something more? Is there like, and that is kind of a creepy male thing, right? Where, where you are kind of maneuvering here or there sometimes. I, this, I don't think it's necessarily male. I mean, a tr- maybe truly. It's not, maybe it's not. It's not. I was single from 22 to 27. And that was like, those were my single years until I met Brian. And I had a lot of, I, I mean, I've just always had a lot of male friends. And there's definitely some friends that you're like, huh. huh maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's, maybe. we spent a lot of time together. You know, I mean, I think there's this, and then there's also friendships that it was like, no, this is, ne- this is a, this is a friendship. And um, it's, it's also the kind of kismet thing of like, are you both on the same trajectory? Like, are you both like, this is friends and this is what it is and nothing more. Um, but I also think things like in 2021 have changed. You know, I mean, I feel like reflecting on when I was 25, you know, like three years ago, it was much different. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, times just really have changed so much in the few months <laughs> since I turned 26. Um, <laughs> But I I think like it has changed a lot and there's just like a more fluid conversation about sex and relationships and um, commitment and all of these things that didn't – weren't at least weren't in in my purview when I was in my 20s. And I think, you know, kind of most critically for me at least is courtship, Mm -hmm. right? Like courtship in 2021 or the last probably 10 years is unlike it's ever been in the history of humanity. I this the 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 tinderization of all of this makes for completely different types of relationships. It's a completely different type of relationship when you enter in knowing you guys the guys are both on the same page. And that page mm-hmm. is are you a compatible romantic partner for me? Mm-hmm. That's really unusual. Try dating during a pandemic, Kenny. <laughs> it's try, not great. Try being married. i I think but yeah i mean my husband and i are i think the we're the last of our friends recently in the last like eight years that met outside of tinder outside of anything Mm -hmm. like we met at a party it was like really normal did you start dating dating early with did you like we were dating we started dating almost instantly although he did slide into my dms to get my phone number my man Classic. <laughs> um, like, nice, nice, well played. I think he tried to message me on Facebook and I was like, move it to Twitter. Um, <laughs> so, wait, so just not that, feel free to stop me at any time, but you guys met at a party and your next step was a romantic step. Yes, it was romantic. Like, it was like we went out to dinner and we consider our first date, like, our, or our first dinner together, like, our first date and, like, that's our anniversary. It was instantaneous. And, um, and and I think it it was also it was one of those situations where like I truly believe I married my best friend, and I think that's the that is kind of the Harry and Sally of it all, right? Is yeah. that it didn't take us twelve years to become best friends, but it was like very quickly. Oh, I want to spend all my time with this person, and it's romantic, and it's intimate, and it's like, well, I'm a fucking idiot if I just spend the next twelve years being like, hmm, should I? Um, but I, yeah. I think there's there's that's part of it. It's it, the, the the Harry and Sally is a very slowed down version in a good way. I agree with you, Kenny. I love the idea that it's showing how people evolve over 12 years, particularly since they're 22 when it starts, um, or 47 <laughs> for Billy Crystal. But I think, <laughs> but I, I do think the, 
that it, it did sort of happen for me in that way that it's like a, he is my best friend and it wasn't like I was like, am I going to date you or not? Luckily, he wanted to date well, me too. I think there's also something, you know, on the Harry and Sally of it all in terms of the the moment when they decide or they decide when they when basically she calls him her her ex is, mm-hmm. is getting married she's in tears he goes over there and they have sex but that kiss is so complicated because you can tell that they're both like are we gonna do this mm-hmm. and you know is this the right i imagine that for him he has to be thinking she's vulnerable in this situation and i don't necessarily and and her just needing to be with somebody in that moment um the scene is amazing she's amazing in it it is broadly comedic and yet at the same time really heartwarming the modulation of what she's able to do in the course of that two minute scene the little kleenex bombs that she's throwing around the room that are still um, there after they sleep together is great it's it's great her her curly <laughs> hair at this point meg's hair goes through many evolutions it's in a the journey it's a it's journey bad. that i'm <laughs> thankful to be on i i had my friend elise literally i was like texting her about this she's an enormous fan and i said um it's so good and so timeless aside from the hair and she said the hair i could do a whole podcast on the hair <laughs> i was like i agree I like it's, hair. it's I a do. journey yeah, it's, it is, it her is. passion as well for the record her fashion I'm is in, also- i'm i'm fully in on the whole meg ryan wardrobe in this movie his not so much but her yeah, and I'm shorts in the beginning there i love them yeah. Um, yeah. So wait, I just want to go back to one set, one half step before mm-hmm. about the differences between then and now. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that is interesting to me is the thing that, that like Twitter and online dating have taken away is you have is that moment when you decide, "Am I going to shoot my shot?" Right. Mm. You don't really need to decide if you're going to shoot your shot anymore. It's really when are you going to shoot your shot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or if there's like – if the, or shooting your shot is like even appropriate, like given the, right. the way this is going. But you know that the ball is in your hand at that point and you're going to have the option at some at some point to shoot your shot or pass it off. Harry and, Harry and Sally never really shoot their shot, right? Then – that that's like kind of a weird thing to me about like the movie is that they almost fall in. It's almost like the person who decided that these two should be together was mm-hmm. the universe. Oh, <laughs> wow. that, that the universe, that the hand of God uh-huh. gave them a moment where they were, where God almost said, all right, enough of this. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to put you in a situation where you you are going to have to sleep together, and then you guys figure it out. Whoa! But so no, a lot of attitude over here. That was amazing from Jones. I mean, she's very movie, which is interesting. You know, Jones is taking her shot. Um, I I agree. I mean, I think yeah. it also we got to give credit to the platonic kisses in 1989 that yeah. led Correct. to the actual Correct. kiss. Yep. yep, um, yep. Without that, who knows? Um, but yeah, I don't know. But that's also kind of how it happens sometimes, right? It's like, oh, but, you know, it's messy and not right. I mean, what what I – I mean, except that he does shoot his shot at the end. Like, it, they don't sh- – he doesn't shoot his shot. You're right. That, yeah, he yeah. doesn't shoot his shot until the end when he's like, oh, I'm going to tell you now. The thing that I love about it, though, we touched on it before, he's, like, so confident that she's like, you're right, I love you too. And yeah. instead, she's like, no. Nope. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. Try a little yeah. bit from that. I, I think that, you know, 
what's interesting too is so they sleep together and there's 14 minutes i think is when i checked uh, the time code on <laughs> jones has thoughts do you want to come here and say hi or are you going to be <laughs> loud and annoying okay fine. i'm gonna keep talking thanks so much <laughs> Um, is is they sleep together. There's 14 minutes left in the film at that point because I think that they recognize that we don't want to live in a space where they're not friends for very long. Oh, Jones is amazing. This is amazing. Jones, as I was saying to, to Liz before we got on Mike Kenny, uh, is is basically oh social media famous. Oh. I mean, on Instagram, Twitter. I mean, okay. now... There We've got a is. star on our Patreon right now, so we should we should feel pretty blessed. You know, it's we charge double. <laughs> Twelve dollars, please, in my pocket. I'll take that. <laughs> Look at this. Look at that dog. She's a, she's she's a very beautiful dog. Thanks. She's oh, also man. an asshole. So, <laughs> well, she's very she's got attitude. That's how I, I like her. You know, she, yeah. She's Hi. early. Kenny likes early mean mean people. I love me. Hey, what can I do for you? I know it's like it's like I was telling Phil as I was watching a long shot. I'm like, this might not be the popular opinion, but uh, Judah and Raphael—that's the one I would take. Or Raphael, right? Uh, That's 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 the one I'm in love with. The meaning. Um, I yeah, love yeah. I love June in that movie. She's oh also my named God. after my uh, my husband. Well, my, the last name is my husband's last name. So she's oh, is he a meanie? Huh? She is he a meanie? No, no, no. June Diane, it's Rayfield, right? Yeah, is such a meanie in that movie, and I love. Oh it. yeah, no, no, no. Just named after, not uh, in any way. Although I did, I did uh, when I saw June. I, I hadn't met her uh, until the premiere. I didn't meet her until the premiere. And I was like, oh, you know, your character's named after my husband. And she's like, oh, he's named Maggie, and I was like, that's why you're you. <laughs> I didn't even think of that joke. <laughs> um. So. Uh, just quickly to get back to what Harry met Sally, yeah. um, I, I do think that, uh, as I mentioned, there's 14 minutes left in the film. We don't sit in them not being friends for very long. I think that they recognize that that the audience doesn't want much of that. Uh, plus, it's mostly just Billy just begging on on voicemail for her to give him another shot. Um, but the the phone call that they have directly after they have sex is a four way phone call essentially, oh, the best, which which is incredible. Uh, built on three neighboring sound stages, all shot in a oneer that they did essentially like a play. Um, it took them. Six 61 takes to get it essentially um it's a four or five page scene but again like it's this also kenny is sort of a testament to what you were talking about as well as sort of there, there is kind of this classical movie making component to it it feels almost like a that scene feels almost like a radio play um in the way that it's delivered the the back and forth of it is 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 pretty fantastic um then we get to uh uh jessen and um uh, Marie's wedding um, is one of us supposed to be the dog in this scenario? Feels like oh, an appropriate thing to ask oh. with Jones on the in the shot as well. Yeah, she's um, really helpful right now too. She is, but I, the way she says that, and he's like, "Yes, you are the dog. I yeah. am the dog. I am the dog. I am the dog." So then, there's also I. It is a great slap. The fuck you, and then oh. the slap is just tremendous. echoes echoes through the film. Yeah. <laughs> It's tremendous. It's so good. It's also so earned. It's also like, I don't know if any woman has ever slapped anyone before. I have not. <laughs> um, it's like really real. Like if you're a woman, you get to the point where you're going to slap a guy like that. It's like, it is a fuck you. It's like a Can I ask you a question? Yeah. yeah. 
Well, this is to both of you, but Liz, you first. <laughs> Do you have friends who've slapped men like that? Do you know people like <laughs> That's one of those things that I think has happened more in movies than in real life. I've thrown a drink in somebody's face before. Like a really? That's awesome. What kind of person? A male person. But like a jerk you met or like a jerk you know? Like, yes. Yeah. Well, not anymore, but I did. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've I've thrown a glass of water in somebody's face before. I had the drink. That's fucking awesome. It didn't have ice in it, so I feel like it was kind of casual. But, um,. No, I mean I've I I don't think I've ever slapped somebody before, but I don't know. My early twenties are slightly hazy. It's possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely I, feel like I know women who have slapped guys in the face before. Like, I definitely feel yeah. like that's a thing that a couple people I know probably have done. Very rightfully so. I'm not or, sure I, I feel like I have I have female friends that have slapped somebody for sure. I don't know, like, I, I don't, I've not been told the story necessarily, but have the disposition or have been in a relationship with someone where I feel like it's warranted and it has happened. I, I it's just like nice to know that there are men who are, who are bigger assholes than me who are getting stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Because everyone's um, so great. So we're, we're basically at the end of the film. We get to Washington Square Park, the arch, um, which triggers a series of, I'm a sucker for a third act montage of all the happy times that we've had yeah. together. Yeah. It's just like, I, I, I know it, it's a trope, but it fucking works. Uh, and then he runs to her and, uh, and you know, they kiss and, and he talks about uh, not understanding uh, what's the name of the song? Old line something or other. Old line New Year's. I mean, I will say that the, the end of long shot. Oh God. Thank you. <laughs> Graceful in her exit. Children, really? What? You talk about the rock set part? No, I'm talking about the very end when she shows up. Is I didn't realize how much Harry when Harry met Sally had influenced me until I realized that the line at the end is she's like, Here's the thing, I love you. And I was like, I watched this movie, and it's like, I've been thinking I love you, and I was like, huh. Hmm, that's I think I was influenced by this movie. It wasn't the first time she said it, though. It was. It, it's true. It's a different. I mean, it's different. Not, she said, "Yeah, it's it's, a, it's a different. that thing." Oh yeah, sure. That's yeah. all. By the way, that's all Jonathan Levine. First, I think he's a great director. I mean, obviously, it was I've I've loved him since The Wackness. Um, and I, I uh, and I always love the way he uses mu- music. But Fifty Fifty is so underrated as well. Great. Yeah, this this the other thing I loved about Long Shot was it's the first again not to go back to it, but it's the first movie that I felt like was actually like dead in my nostalgia zone, like mm. right in the middle of my nostalgia bullseye. Mm-hmm. With, from Boys to Men to Roxette to all these things that I felt like only I had like these like really strong emotions for. It's lovely when someone else. The only thing I would have done differently, you could tell Jonathan this. I would have, uh, I would, I, I would have played End of the Road instead of It's Hard to Say Goodbye Yesterday. But um, <laughs> I'm not getting into that one. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you know, that that that's what I would have done. We refer to them as the men. That's that's how we in the know like to refer to them because they're no longer boys. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I love the Roxette scene so much. I, the scene I think came out of like a collaboration of trying to figure out something romantic but it was also 
Levine just wanted the rock. He was like, the rock set song has to be in this. He's like, I know this song has to be in this movie. It's a throwback. It's, it's a pretty woman scene. Like it's all of these things that we were inspired by. And so it was kind of, it was a little bit of like a, having the end of the book and trying to write your way into it. But I love that scene. And it's like, they're, they're just so sweet together. When I was nine years old, I went to sleepaway camp. And uh, you listen to Roxette. Well, here's 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 the, <laughs> the cassette, the, the soundtrack to so Pretty Woman. My, I had a one cool older friend by one year. He was ten, who had uh, the ability to make a mixtape. Right, this was pretty early. You know, people weren't. This was like 1991. People were making a lot of mixtapes back then. This guy could make a mixtape, and he only had a few CDs. And one of the CDs he had was the Pretty Woman soundtrack. So I put. The the songs that were good off these like five CDs he had. So he had under the Br- he had a uh, blood sugar sex match. So it was like four red hot chili peppers. Mm-hmm. Songs. He had the pretty woman soundtrack and he had the Simpsons album. So <laughs> I <laughs> what a cool guy. What a curveball that last one. I know every word. So I so like you put pretty woman on there by Orbis, but like you put must have been love on there, and then you yep. put Bartman and deep deep trouble. <laughs> <The> <laughs> Right, every word. The, the, so, so they, you know, it's like all these crazy. But that, that that song in particular, it's must be love is like seared into my brain. I know every word to it. It's such a wonderful, beautiful song that is an appropriate answer for the best song ever written. Um. So the the one last thing for for when Harry Masali that I that I want to talk about is the um the narrative device of the interstitial couples mm. to punctuate the film, which. Again, really simple and yet perfect in terms of giving us breaks, in terms of being able to jump forward in time. Um, they tried to get real couples. They got real couples at one point. They shot a bunch of them. Didn't work. It felt weird. Mm-hmm. The casting on these, though, is just pitch perfect. They all seem like real couples. The first one, I, it's also like there's a version. The, the first one, like the wife really seems like she hates her husband. Like he's like, I we were married and we got divorced. And then I married this girl. And she's like, not that one. He's like, oh, yeah, the other one. But I didn't marry her. And then like I went to a funeral with what's her name? And she's like, I know her name. Roberta. And then like, yeah, Roberta. And then it's like they go out. And he's like, and then we got married. 35 days to the day we've got married the first time. And the look on her face is like, I fucking hate you. It's so funny. I love it so much. It's fantastic. What's great about all of them for me? You know, <laughs> obviously none of these people are big famous actors. You wouldn't be able to place any of them from anywhere else. They're all excellent. And they're mm-hmm. all so good that you think that these people might be real. Like if you told them oh, yeah. people they were all real, I think people would buy it. You know how like the right always says, you know, uh, these people are hired. They're hired crisis actors. They've been deployed by Soros. And you think, well, that's crazy because you can't have actors who are that good who aren't actually making money off them. And then you see this and you're like, it's it is possible. So, I think Fair enough. I no longer will make the argument that it's impossible. Um, just that, like, it seems like that's way, that's way above their heads in terms of casting and all that. It's, it's just, it's the, the, I mean, first of all, it works Your for all the reasons that I mentioned before, but it cast- also works as a, oh, sorry. off of central casting. It's not like they're like, hang on, let me go comb the streets. They're like, I need central casting and Getty images actors to be in our, in like our, yeah. you know, promo for the right wing. And it's like, but they totally are supportive. And then you like Google it. And it's the same guy in this other photo. It's like, they're just not smart. They're not no. smart. They're the worst. <laughs> but education is not a problem in this um, country. I, 
What I was going to say is that I I think that it works for a bunch of reasons, as I mentioned earlier, but I also think that Harry and Sally being the final interview is such a perfect button on why they were there. Like, if you needed a reason to have all these things, it's because at the end, you've got the couple that you've been watching this entire time. Um, And that they don't say it, but they say it is great. Their final interview apparently was entirely improvised. I guess they just shot a bunch of stuff with them, and and which is also fantastic and it's just a great movie guys i don't know i mean i could talk about it for hours but um kenny do you want to final interviews i love it in the end of long shot too yes yes she's my president i think that you know you stole again (laughs) (laughs) um do you want to rate your uh you want to rate this kenny you go yeah uh i saw it in 2000 and either 2000 or 2001 in a dorm room with like at least four or five other guys thought it was fine. Peak Probably. movie watching experience. Yeah. Just, I was just going to say me and the bros, me and the bros sitting on the bottom bunk of a bunk bed on a 18 inch oh, TV uh, watching Harry met Sally. That's a rom-com that we a need to write. A lot of my formative movie going experience. It hasn't come up on the podcast for whatever reason, but oh, boy. Very, it was called ResNet. We had a very good, like, internal movie channel at college uh-huh. it was programmed by students so uh there were a lot of great movies like a morris peros i saw for the first time mm-hmm. but uh just like when harry met sally, yeah, harry met sally I, I think i would have given it honestly i think i would have given it like an 80 i didn't think it was like the best i didn't think it was right. the best but you know again consider the context um it's a i'm gonna give it a i'm gonna give it a 98 I would give it a 98. I've been giving a lot of like 98s, 99s to the 89 podcast. I think we've only kind of done banger after banger after banger. Uh, it's as good as like anything could possibly be. I do think that there is a little, a little bit of a lag uh, in the middle around the backhand half of the second act where I, where I was not in my like full delirium state of how happy I was watching it. There was a moment where I, I was tempted to look at my phone, um, but only because there was one moment. I think a 98 is a fair score for one of the finest romantic comedies ever made, if not the finest. Great. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm going to do something pretty unprecedented. It's straight 99s, all three for me. I've never done this before, but like, I just, I honestly, it's a film that, and I said this to Kenny yesterday, I'm not sure that I can be particularly objective about it. It's, it's, like burned in my DNA at this point. Um, I, I loved it in 89. I watched it, as I mentioned, a million times as a kid. You know, I love talking with you, Liz and Kenny, about this movie because it's one of my favorite films. It's probably, if I had to be defined by a movie, it might be this movie. Um, but uh, yeah, so I can't, I mean, it's 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 99s all the way. But Liz, what did, what did you think of it back in the day and what do you think of it now? Um, I think I probably gave it like an 85, 86, 87, 88 um, when I saw it. And which I, I think I must have seen it probably in like 2004, maybe mm-hmm. that feels way too late. I must have seen it in the 90s at some point in high school, and like I just didn't stick with me. Um, I would give it probably 98, 99. Yeah, it's kind I of think my only, my only real issue <laughs> is sweet baby 27 year old Meg Ryan and not sweet baby 47 year old Billy <laughs> Crystal. Is, <laughs> Trying to believe that they are the same age is a little tough. Yeah. Um, that's my that's my only knock. Also, yeah, the other cool. weird thing we don't talk we need to talk about the weird things. But the other weird thing is Reiner has his daughter play Billy Crystal's girlfriend at one point. Yep, correct. Correct. Spaghetti plays his daughter, which is you know yep. it's a choice. Odd. 
and not and and there is a joke that I I'm sure everyone would love to have excised from the movie, which is the crazy racist Ethiopia joke. Yes. It's insane. It's insane. It's, insane. it's like it's, wildly bad, inappropriate, yeah. racist yeah. joke. It's um, uh yeah no, I did not remember that joke, and whilst yeah. watching it this morning, I was like. Hmm. No, well, I was like making coffee. I was like, that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> what's weird about it is it's a bad joke. Uh, he's talking about how he tells that joke on a date and she doesn't laugh. And then because let's be crazy. real. Sally barely laughs. Right. Like Sally doesn't really give him well, much of a laugh. It's a not minute. a good joke. She also yeah. takes a minute, then she laughs. But it's also like, it's not even funny. It's just a joke to like be racist. It's like, just, <laughs> it's like not even, there's no punchline. It's just like, the punchline yeah. is like, Hey, I'm a racist. Like that's yeah. what he's yes. saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and racist, and, and and so are you. Like, yeah, it's it's a bizarre. Right? It's a bizarre okay. joke. And again, very much of its time, there was like this, like horror. I don't want to talk too much about it, but yeah. there was this thing that was a thing back then. It was bad. Um, the yeah. movie fucking rocks. Aside from that bad joke and the and the weird uh, age dynamics in the movie. Yes. But more than anything, Liz, I just want to thank you for coming on to talk about When Harry Met Sally with us again. Thank you. Uh, I mean, truly, uh, you know, we're obviously really big fans. And to be able to talk about this basically perfect movie, except for one bad joke, uh, is uh, is a real gift. So we really do appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Thanks for having me. Liz, do you, are you, uh, you know, feel free to say no comment. Are you working on any more rom-coms? Is that, <laughs> is, is that somewhere you want to, like, continue to, like, live in? I mean, because I feel like... The other stuff you've done, or at least other stuff that you know have been produced, the post and like your Mindhunter episodes, not very romantic. <laughs> yeah, okay, you don't think your laugh out loud funny? <laughs> <laughs> you don't think they're laugh out loud funny? They're high, they're high, I really think they're high concept comedies. Well, I'm, I'm not as dark as you, I guess. I don't have no. They just like you. What, what can I say? What can I say? They weren't interpreted correctly. Um, well, thank you again for coming on. We thank hope you. that uh, we hope that you'll come back for something else in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.